Welcome to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. On this podcast, we share ideas and hear from guests about how they find, retain, develop, and advance women and other underrepresented groups in their accounting firms. Now, on to our guest. Welcome, everybody, to Move Like This. And I am so excited today to be talking to Sherelle Jackson. We are going to talk about Juneteenth today, which I am very excited about learning more and everybody here getting educated about what it is and why it is so important. But before we really dive into that, first, thank you for being here. And tell me a little bit about yourself and what it is you do and how you got into this work. Well, in terms of a little bit about myself, I'll start with what I do. And after being a 35-year executive in finance and operations, working in the CPA industry, as you know, for over 20 years as a partner, chief operating and chief financial officer, what I have learned about, you know, the business acumen that I've had an opportunity to gain is that I've worked in organizations where I've drove operational strategy, human capital development, finance, of course, and accounting, and all of the administrative and operational functions within the organization, primarily being responsible to ensure that we not only have efficiency, but income is dropping to the bottom line and we're thriving in a culture where people want to work. I've had the amazing pleasure of doing that in a myriad of industries, but my longest tenure was in the CPA industry. And as a result of that and being able to see the contributions we have an opportunity to make as a leader, I really wanted to align that with my purpose, which was to create significant impact and abundance for leaders at every level. Because as you can imagine, as a woman and as an African-American woman, I knew what it was like to be left out in spite of your contributions and of no one's particular fault of their own But the bottom line is when you are culturally different, um, there are some obstacles that are unique to those differences. And so I wanted to create a space where ambitious leaders could reach their highest performance by getting past insecurities, knowing how to navigate obstacles and moving fear into courage. And so last year, I moved into full-time entrepreneurship as a keynote speaker which in full transparency, I have been speaking on leadership to women and inclusion and belonging before it was a hot topic for 15 years. But I now do it on a full-time basis. I have the privilege of being a leadership coach and obviously a business consultant as a result of my business background. And so that's what I do. I'll just say real quickly who I am is a mom of three kings, a queen, two amazing granddaughters, a woman of God and a contributor to the community whose sole goal is just to make a positive difference in the lives of others. Oh, I love that so much. The idea of moving fear to courage just hit me so strongly. I think that's something we should all be striving for. And I love that that is just part of what you are doing, saying that outright. I think that's beautiful. Thank you, Bonnie. I mean, it's one of the leadership pillars that's critical to be the highest performing leader. And while we all experience courage at some point in our career or even in our life. And this is not just about business, but high performing leadership is about personal, professional, and in the community, starting with how we lead ourselves. Yeah. When we lead ourselves effectively at the highest level. There's no limit to how hard we can go in anything that we choose. 
I feel like I need to just say amen to that. <laughs> I love it. So uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of our recording here, I wanted to talk about Juneteenth today with you. Part of that is I feel like we had a conversation a while ago about this and I was like, I absolutely want to make this one of our podcast episodes. So let's start out by explaining what Juneteenth is, since I know there are many people out there who either are just vaguely aware of it or not even aware Mm -hmm. of it at all. Well, I mean, historically, we all know that it came back from June the 19th, back in 1865, right? When some of the 2000 Union troops actually arrived at Galveston Bay, Texas, and the army announced that um, more than 250,000 enslaved, slave Black people in the state were free. That's really where it started. But we all know that here in the United States, the increased awareness of Juneteenth, in my opinion, really became um, more prevalent in the lives of others in terms of acknowledgement and recognition as a result of people seeing George Floyd being murdered on TV during COVID. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, understanding the enslavement that African-Americans are still dealing with right here in this community by the disparity of treatment really caused this to move to the top and for individuals to recognize and take a stand for the fact that there was an inequity in treatment when it came to African-Americans and people wanted to do something about it. You know, there was the decision in referencing that holiday and combining the words June with 19th, which is why Juneteenth became a, um, a holiday as a result of what happened back in 1865. But now there's an acknowledgement of organizations and individuals across the nation, we hope, to recognize that freedom should mean equality and opportunity for not just African-Americans, but for all people. But this is specifically about African-Americans and being able to really celebrate not just the freedoms that we had as a result of the emancipation of slavery, but to really propel the opportunity for equality and equity across the board, whether it is in education, whether it is in the political system, whether it is in law, and obviously in our careers and opportunities. And we want this to be top of mind for all people at all levels and all organizations and all industries to keep in mind that freedom and access and opportunity should be available to all people. And we use Juneteenth as a day of awareness and reminder of not only what African-Americans have been through, but most importantly, our commitment to creating the seat and voice at the table for African-Americans as a result of the disparity and the disadvantage that we have been placed in because of the generational curse as a result of slavery. Yeah. And I'm actually, I have to say, I've been aware of this for a number of years, but when Mm -hmm. I think about it, I am kind of shocked in some ways and surprised that this isn't something that we were taught in elementary school classrooms. It, It is kind of amazing that we haven't had a official holiday recognizing the emancipation of enslaved people. And I'm frankly, I'm really happy that it is a holiday at this point. But I, I'd like to, you know, since our backgrounds are different, I'm white, you're black, you know, did you know about Juneteenth growing up? And was this something that's celebrated in your family or community? So I would say that did I know? Yes. Um, And I'm grateful that President Joe Biden 
did sign and make it a federal holiday back in 2021. I'm, I'm very grateful. And I think yeah. that um, this is just an example of how far behind the opportunity for African-Americans is across this world um, and our nation specifically. But as a child, many of our African-American holidays we were aware of, but it also depends on your family structure. I grew up in a family that had educators on my father's side. Mm -hmm. So it was very important that we were aware of our history because you're right, it wasn't taught in school. And it's a, a much greater disparity now and depending on where you live. I was aware, but did we celebrate it? Not really. We celebrated other things, Black History Month, Martin Luther King. There were certain holidays that we did celebrate. But I also think the celebration of something really has to go hand in hand with your belief that it's actually true and or your awareness. And for many African-Americans, while we don't have legalized slavery, many people still felt and feel enslaved based on institutional racism, the inability to really have opportunity within corporations, the lack of access to capital, housing and resources, the inability to penetrate specific industries where and communities based on numbers. So I, I wasn't celebrating Juneteenth as a child, but I've always celebrated opportunities as an African-American and been an advocate for creating space room and opportunity for African-Americans every day, not just on June 19th. Yes. And I think that is equally important. As you mentioned, it was only became a national holiday two years ago, a little less than two years ago as we're right. recording this. Like I say, a lot of Americans don't even realize it's a holiday. Mm -hmm. um, what do you feel like are some ways for individuals and those, we're here talking to accounting firms, um, those in accounting firms to increase awareness of Juneteenth, to celebrate it respectfully and on a larger scale, things that they can do to help be more diverse in their firms and to promote people from different walks of life um, and not just hire them. Yeah, this could be a whole podcast for, you know, episode one, two, <laughs> and three. But in, in short order, I would say that it's not just about Juneteenth. It's about the commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging for all underrepresented individuals. And if you want to talk specifically within this industry, we know that at least last time I checked the statistics, there's less than 1% African-Americans within the industry or less than 2% African-Americans industry industry. And during my entire time of having the privilege of going to the major firms event, which is your top CEO and COO at the event, unless otherwise invited, I was the only African-American in the C-suite um, my entire time of attending those events as a C-level executive CEO or COO. Now, that's not to say that they didn't have the time where they were asking you to invite your top female, and that might be an HR or marketing person. But during my entire team and time in the industry, I was the only African-American uh, at that COO or CEO level. And so I think that for organizations, it's not just about Juneteenth, but it's about our commitment to creating opportunity at every level in this industry and then paving a pathway for it to happen, starting with what you mentioned, recruiting. And I don't think it's just about recruiting at the lowest level. It's across every level within our industry in order to create the ability for individuals to belong and feel included because you need to have individuals that you can look up to. 
It's about creating the seat and voice at the table for individuals of all cultures. And if we're specifically talking about African-Americans, then making sure that we're intentional about that by executing strategies to bring individuals into the organization without the fear of meaning that means you have to dilute the candidate. I've even had firms say, well, now does that mean that we don't get the best candidate? As if by hiring an African-American, they're not going to be as qualified as hiring another race or culture. But the reality of it is there are amazing, talented individuals in all races and in all cultures. And if we're being intentional about penetrating a specific culture of underrepresented individuals, then that's the culture we have to focus on. So I think from a recruiting standpoint, obviously, it's about having an intentional strategy, not just about a number so that we can check a box, but about a cultural integration so that once we acquire the talent, we have an ability to retain them and continue to allow them to earn their way up the corporate ladder. I think that we also have to celebrate one another's by learning about what we don't know, which means that when you're not familiar, it's very uncomfortable. So having clarifying conversations like the amazing CEO of Hogan Taylor or Jim Wallace of BPM, you know, these are individuals who want to learn about that which they don't know. So we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And it starts at the top. We have to start understanding how we can have conversations by asking more questions, being less defensive, and and knowing that our end game is to do what's best for not just the people, but the industry. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, we have to change and shift. And if we don't know how, we need to bring in consultants that can walk alongside of us to help us hit our goals and objectives. And I believe that in order to increase African-Americans in the industry, we have to commit to it being a cultural shift, a cultural transformation versus an initiative. And then we have to commit investment dollars and we need leadership in this space. In our industry, so many people who already had a full-time job got a separate title as DEI leader, DEI strategist, and then it's not a committed amount of time to actually implementing and integrating it into the culture of the organization. So we really have to put our money where our mouth is. And at the end of the day, there must be accountability. And so if we want to create cultural transformation where there's a seat and a voice at the table for everyone, where we're increasing the population of the underrepresented in our industry, then we need to hold our leadership accountable. And that needs to be part of our scorecard. And when we get serious about it, when we seek help in the space where we don't understand, where we get mentors and coaches and consultants that can walk alongside of us to get to the win once it's clarified, I guarantee you we can create a shift in this industry. You touched on so many points there that I I actually want to ask or at least share some additional information. And I agree with you completely that I have talked to you and worked with so many firms that spend time, money, and effort in recruiting underrepresented groups, but do not spend anywhere near that amount of time or any time trying to create an inclusive environment where these people that you're bringing in that you want to be part of your team and contribute to the firm are not made to feel included, that it is still this structure where yeah, it's a us and them sort of scenario. And that is just absolutely devastating. 
to individuals that get hired into roles that have such excitement about the opportunity. And then when they actually get there to perform it, realize that this is not a firm that is really embracing DEI, but is trying, like you said, trying to check off boxes. So I I agree with you completely that a, a lot of times firms really need to focus on the inclusion side of things before they even worry about the diversity side of things, because it is it's not a wasted effort, but it's not going to be as powerful an effort if the inclusion side isn't taken care of. And I don't know, that's one of those things I feel very strongly about. And the, the other thing you mentioned is the accountability side of things. I, I have to give a little shout out to one of the Accounting Move Project's sponsors, our founding sponsor, Moss Adams. And I'm actually going to be talking to Trisha on a future podcast, but they actually have built into their dashboards partners and leaders within the firm look at on a monthly basis, if not more often, DEI initiatives and how what they're doing is helping the firm move toward their goals that they've set. And I think that is innovative and something that so many others should be doing. No, I think you're great. And I I too will give a shout out to Moss Adams. Not only are they a client of mine and giving me opportunity to come in and speak at a number of events, but they are dedicated and committed to um, DEIB, whether it is underrepresented individuals in African-American space or other cultures and women. Mm-hmm. And um, part of creating cultural transformation is a commitment to the work that has to be done to create change. And part of that is not just bringing in individuals like myself as a speaker or a consultant, but it's also educating at every level. And oftentimes we carve out a specific group of individuals and create an ERG or BRG to give people the autonomy to actually collaborate, but we don't actually infuse it in the entire organization. And it starts at the top. And so when CEOs are committed first to get a level of understanding, knowing that we're not saying that it's your fault, but we do have a responsibility as leaders to move the needle forward. And if it's an area where we don't have the skill set, then we hire the experts to help us accomplish the goal. And that's okay. And so I think that by doing that and setting the stage for what we actually want our outcome to be, starting at the CEO, then you start to create something that's sticky when you have accountability across your partner group and at every level of management. And to your other point, Bringing in individuals at the lowest level or at levels even below management or at management is a great start, but we all know that individuals need to be able to have someone that they can relate to and they need to have the freedom and autonomy to be themselves. So cultural transformation, to your point, starting with inclusion and belonging is very important. And implementing something like training leaders just on how to have a clarifying conversation, how to communicate with your team members with to seek to understand versus to be right, how to create engagement in a way where you're creating relationship and collaboration that's built on trust. Because people stay with individuals that they trust because they believe that they care. So we can do that. We can create inclusion but we have to position people to be comfortable being themselves and not feel like they have to exercise the imposter syndrome or code switch to be who it is that they think you need them to be. And the last thing I'll say, Bonnie, is in many instances, while there are always opportunities to improve as a leader, I've been asked to change who I am as a person. Now, that's not to discount the fact that I'm a far better leader and a far better communicator than I was in the past. But my communication style by asking questions or seeking to understand 
as long as I'm respectful and that my style is one of humility and grace should be acceptable. I shouldn't be told that I need to show up this way because that's what's going to make that audience feel good. I should be allowed to be who I am. And I think that we need to create that in our organizations. And with these future generations of leaders, there is an expectation of inclusion and belonging. And if we want to combat the great resignation, quiet quitting, we are going to be forced to implement this in our organization, whether we like it or not. So I say it's far better to be proactive than reactive. Otherwise, you're at risk of being Uberized and nobody wants to have what happened to Taxi or yeah. what happened to Blockbusters as a result of Uber and Netflix. Yeah. God, every one of those points is great. Something else that I wanted to mention is the idea that if you're expected to fall into a mold that is not your natural self, if you are not allowed to be who you are, um, like you say, with humility and respect, you're not performing at your top level within the firm because you're worried about, oh, if I say something this way, somebody may misinterpret it or if I do this, okay, let me make sure that I'm doing the things the way I need it to be, to be heard and not to upset anybody and all that. You're not able to perform at your highest level because you're worrying about all this other stuff that is frankly a waste of time. Therefore, the not only do the individual suffer, the leadership within the firm suffers, but clients suffer too because they're not getting the full performance level of the individuals within the firm because they're worried about some things that just aren't important. I think every firm should invest in training around the imposter syndrome and authentic leadership. I think that it's very important that, that we recognize that being professional, operating with grace and understanding, exercising empathy and care and being able to collaborate coupled with being able to make tough decisions and deal with conflict is part of being a high-performing leader. And if we want to breed high-performing leaders within our organization, we have to train and develop them on exactly what high-performance is. And that means that we need to be able to be our authentic self. Because when you are not who you are, there is no way that you can bring your best version of yourself to work, home, or your community. So as organizations, when you talk about inclusion and belonging, Part of our standardized training should be about authentic leadership. I think that every organization should invest in training and developing leaders at every level on how to lead authentically. Now, once we create that space and we also train and develop on having clarifying conversations, which meaning as a leader, we're seeking to understand and guide and to be understood so that individuals don't think that being in an environment that's coined as nice means that you can't bring up things that you disagree with. Because in many organizations, they're coined as nice and everyone gets along, but those are the same organizations where people are gossiping and talking behind one another's back because they are afraid of conflict. So training and developing our team members and our leaders on how to mitigate conflict and gracefully disrupt should also be part of the business cadence when it comes to learning and development. And I believe that when we make those investments around authentic leadership, combating the imposter syndrome, having clarifying conversations, how to manage conflict and communicate effectively, then we're teaching our people at the onset that you matter and your voice matters. 
People need to be in a space where they can amplify professionally and be heard. And people need to be given permission to gracefully disrupt. Because when you have individuals around you who care enough about you that they will point out your blind spots, there is no limit to how high you can go. And business leaders need not be intimidated by individuals who can contribute to the win simply because their contribution is not in alignment with always agreeing. The contribution of the individual who cares is the individual that's willing to risk the relationship to save the leader or the business. And when we start to embrace that as leaders and people feel that they have a voice, again, as long as it's professional, then I guarantee you inclusion and belonging will become the result. And then your ability to bring in different personalities will start to yield because people feel safe in the environment in which they're interacting. And it can be done, Bonnie. It really yeah. can. It's oh, just it how we go about it. And it's about transformation versus initiative and transaction. Yes. Uh, and the one thing I would add to that is incorporating unconscious bias training Absolutely. into that as well, because that is, and I've done this with a number of firms and a number of associations, and it's amazing how deep and un, well, unconscious, obviously, that a lot of these biases go. And just learning how to recognize when they're happening. You're not going to get rid of them. They're ingrained and, you know, hopefully they can lessen over time. But if you start recognizing that and learn how to respect everybody for who they are, not for the role that they may serve at the firm or if there's somebody like you that you generally respect that person more, the the world's your oyster. I, I completely agree with you on all of these points. Yeah, and we all have them. Uh, I'm sure you heard in my latest talk when we talk about the fact that there really are no interactions without bias, but it's about us feeling comfortable and safe enough to ask for the support that we need to become a better leader and a better individual. And when someone can come to the table and say to me, I'm not sure if I should call you Black or African-American, I respect that. Yeah. And that is a reasonable question in many instances, because oftentimes I recognize I am the different one in the room. I will start off by saying, may I ask a clarifying question? Simply because I want to ensure that my understanding isn't based on my background and that I'm clear on what's actually being said versus what I've heard. And I've even had individuals say to me through that questioning, well, are you trying to sound like a know-it-all? So sometimes you can't win no matter what you try, but the key is that we try and that we bring our authentic self and that when something is not working in alignment with who we are and what we need, that we're in a space where we can safely share that that is not working for me. And if we want to safeguard the relationship, we both have the opportunity to openly share, to seek understanding and hopefully resolution, even if it's to agree to disagree. Yeah. And that's fine. Your point much earlier in this conversation about being comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. And like you just said, asking clarifying questions. I don't know anybody that gets offended by asking if you prefer Black or African-American, or there are so many questions like that and across the board as far as people go and their identifying characteristics. And yeah, it's fine. 
you know, and you know what, we're all going to say something that may be misinterpreted or maybe wrong on some level. And that's okay too. And being able to have somebody come to you and say, you know, when you said X, this is how that made me feel, or this is why that may not be a great idea. And being respectful in the way you deliver that message and also open in the way you receive it is going to create an environment where uncomfortable conversations are okay and everybody moves forward from those conversations and are in a much better place afterwards. Money, I would say that the key is if we care, and I was sharing this with another leader, when someone brings to me that something hurt my that hurt their feelings, the first thing out of my mouth is I apologize for hurting your feelings. It's not that it was my intent or not, or trying to justify my behavior. It's about acknowledging the fact that individuals matter. Look, yeah. for individuals like us that are approaching 60 and post 60, there is a different leadership style adaptation that we have to make to, to lead the future generation of leadership. The reality of it is when I entered into the workplace, nobody cared about how I felt. But that is not the workplace we are in today. Mental health is real. The generations that are growing up into the next generation of leaders expect diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. They expect hybrid environment and flexibility. They expect technological innovation and they expect rapid advancement. So as leaders, if we wanna have a sustainable organization, the training starts with us. And I think that what's happening is we want to push it down on our community and remain the same, which creates a gap in our ability for our transformation to become sticky. But the reality of it is as leaders, we have to train on how to lead differently, especially for individuals who are older, post 40, and who have leading and in the workplace for 20 plus years. There's a new way to lead. And we need to seek to get understanding and training and development from leadership coaches and individuals who possess the business acumens to understand your industry, the actual experience of being a diverse candidate and the certification and academic excellence to justify and validate the credibility. And then you can start to create some change. I feel energized every time we have a conversation. And I just love that you're out there doing this work. Thank you, Bonnie. You know, I'm a business person and by far I understand the accounting industry. I'm passionate about creating inclusion within the industry, in all industries. And I'm passionate about creating space at the top for women. But what I'm most passionate about coupled with that or what I'm equally passionate about, I should say, is positioning CEOs to win. And that positioning means that we have to humble ourselves to say, hey, can you help me? Um, because it's not something that we've been great at and it's okay. Our industry is about income per partner. And ultimately I'm not asking that that shift but can you imagine how much more money you can make when you can penetrate industries that are women-led, minority-led, when you can bring on talent that is in alignment with that industry and you can create opportunity for those individuals in these underrepresented industries. So it's not about changing whatever your driver is, even if it isn't to do what I believe is the right thing, but it's about ensuring that as you are continuing to drive your business, you have a sustainable business based on what the future leaders of tomorrow are expecting. So we have to get on board whether we like it or not. Yes. 
this is not a group that likes to embrace change as quickly as some other industries do, but I'm seeing a lot of positive movement. And I think, you know, we have a good future ahead of us and a lot of people that are out there trying to help firms, firm leadership, make these adjustments as needed so that the profession can continue to move forward. I think it's wonderful. Absolutely. And I'm excited about it. I think it's a great profession. There's a lot of opportunity to um, continue to thrive in it. There are a lot of amazing candidates for individuals who are struggling in rural areas and they really don't know how to attract diverse candidates. There is a strategy to that. There is a strategy to implementing learning and development so that individuals can shift. There's a strategy to training leadership so that we can create cultural transformation, but it takes commitment. It takes dedicated leader that's qualified and it takes an investment, which means you've got to give a budget allocation greater than bringing in a speaker for a minimal amount and having a course or two on unconscious bias and celebrating MLK or Juneteenth and making people choose. I mean, at the end of the day, we've got to make an investment in that which is important to us. I agree completely. In closing, I wanted to ask you a couple of just sort of fun personal questions. So when you were five years old, Sherelle, which I know was only 20 years ago, (laughs) what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, when I was five years old, I actually wanted to be a lawyer. I think I wanted to be a lawyer from the time I could talk or something. And I don't know if I wanted to be a lawyer because people said you should be a lawyer or (laughs) what that was, but I think I wanted to be a lawyer. But in full disclosure, I entered into accounting my first job at the age of 13. So that's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I got my first job at 13 doing accounts payable and receivable at the school district and would still the intent to graduate from college and become a lawyer. But by the time I was in college, I was a assistant controller, full-time book, full-charge bookkeeper. And by the time I graduated, it was law school or continue getting this paycheck and I'm 20 years old making what seemed like a lot of money. So it was just the natural trajectory of where God wanted me to be. Oh, that's fascinating. So if you were given the chance to travel anywhere in the world for free and with no worries about taking time off from work or responsibilities, where would you go and why? I think if I could travel anywhere in the world for free, I don't know that I could point pinpoint a specific location at this time. But what I can tell you is I would want to go into a space where I, a place in the world where I could have the largest audience to be able to motivate, inspire, and provide tools necessary and needed in order to catapult lives forward. And wherever that place is in this world is where I want to be. I want to be able to use the gifts and talents that God has given me and my ability to shift and convert leaders into high performance. I want to be able to encourage and motivate people to understand that it's not about where you come from, but it's about where you desire you want to go. I want to position people to convert that insecurity and the confidence and that fear and the courage. And I want to do it in a mass And I want to get the group of ambitious leaders that has that fire in them, but they're waiting for somebody to ignite it. And wherever I have the largest audience is exactly where I want to be. Oh my gosh. I want to be in that room (laughs) for sure. That's where I want to be. 
Uh, well, finally, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Today, obviously, as a brand new entrepreneur, after 35 years in cult, um, corporate America, if I had one superpower, I my superpower would be to position myself to get as much visibility as I possibly can so that I can go out and change the world. I mean, literally, I wish I had that superpower. I could just go bing and yeah. people could see my video on YouTube, look, listen to the testimonials from clients and be willing to make an investment in bringing someone like myself in that can help them with leadership, help catapult women to the top and help culturally change organizations that are led with inclusion and belonging. So I would have the superpower to create visibility so that I would be able to participate with those individuals that are committed to this type of change. Oh, well, I hope you, you already have some of that superpower and I hope it just continues to expand and grow. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time today to have this amazing conversation with me. And I will, anybody who wants to learn more about Sherelle, I'm going to have information in the podcast notes and I can't thank you enough for being here. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I wish you nothing but power and strength. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie, for the opportunity. Thank you to all of the listeners that are listening. And if there's anything that I can do to support you or support your audience, please don't hesitate to ask. Absolutely. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at accountingmoveproject.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues too. I'm your host, Bonnie Buell-Resick, and until next time, keep moving forward.